to experience the strongest radio allowable by law. Secrets will be revealed. Myths dispelled. From the studio gym where excuses never apply. It's Superhuman Radio with your host, Carl Lenore. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Superhuman Radio. It's Monday. No, it's Tuesday, but it feels like Monday because I didn't do a show yesterday. And uh, we're starting off with a really, really important discussion about nutrition with my guest today, Evelyn Koser. How are you doing, Evelyn? I'm doing great. How are you, Carl? Good. We're having a little technological difficulty. I don't think you can hear the music or the commercials right now. I did hear the music coming in, so I figured I out what it was. A... You know what? Yeah. I've been doing... I've been doing interviews on Zoom. I've been doing interviews uh, Facebook Live, and everything needs a different setting on my board. And I forgot I turned something off, so I had to turn it back on. So there we go. All right. Well, I tomorrow. think we're good. Evelyn, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing fairly well, thank you. Um, thanks to be back. And uh, you yep, and we're... I, you and I have something in common. We both had uh, foot slash ankle surgery recently. Yes, yes, I had um, ankle fusion surgery last August, end of August. I'm five months post-op, just a little bit over, and uh, walking in shoes, so um, no pain. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm making strides, and I'm real happy with that. So that's, that's, that's my status right now. People have no idea what it's like to live on one leg. It's really difficult, oh, isn't it? It's, it's, it's insane. I'm, I'm so glad for having upper body strength because, especially for a woman, just to be able to sit down on a toilet to use it, I mean, it, you, you don't appreciate your everyday abilities to, you know, go up or down stairs, yes. walk, sit down. Uh, it, it, it's a whole new world, and um, I'm so glad to be past that stage. And hopefully, um, so far, so good on my end. And um, you're, you, I emailed you recently or messaged you recently, and you said you're doing better. So hopefully, I'm going today, and I'm hoping that they take me out of this stupid boot. You know, I've been using that knee scooter which everybody thinks is great but it's destroyed my kneecap now and oh so- yeah yeah it the knee scooter is wonderful in, instead of crutches but if you have any sort of issues with your knee or for me my calves came up high and and i was you know leaning on that calf so it's kind of moving it and torquing it around it you know it was great compared to going around on crutches but it has its limitations as well, I, I kicked it away um, beginning of January. I finally just got rid of it totally. I said, I don't need this thing anymore. So, yeah. so um, there's, there is a little feedback I'm going to get rid of right now. Hold on a second. Yeah, I have I have some on my end. Uh, you, it may have gone away now. Oh. It should have gone away right now. I'm still dying. Yeah, actually, it seems like it's gone. Yep, it's gone. Yeah, again, uh, I've been fiddling around with this thing, trying to accommodate several different interfaces. <laughs> so, anyway, let's talk about... Nusai, not to be confused with Nusai. How do you know the difference? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, actually, there's a really funny story with that. A, a friend of mine um, that I, well, I don't know him, but I've known him from Twitter for a long time, um, owned N-U-T-S-I, and and uh, the the Nusai people tried to buy that domain from him, um, and so, but I guess they are they're they're New C. Okay, that's how it's pronounced. It's very important that you pronounce it new C. So so it's N U S I dot org that we're going to be talking about, not N U S C I dot org, right? Correct. Okay. No no C. N U S I stands for the Nutrition 
Science Initiative. And, I, and I'm the one who blew it because I got the wrong image on Facebook this morning, which I will repair and replace later today. But anyway, what, what, what is NUSI? What is it? Okay, so um, I'm pretty sure that most of your listeners are familiar with Gary Tavs, who's the science journalist who, since I think it was 2002, he wrote the first article, um, you know, what if it's all been a big fat lie, talking about, um, you know, how low-fat diets are, are to blame for the obesity epidemic and that it's really insulin that, you know, from eating carbohydrates that causes us all to get fat. So um, somehow in 2012, um, a doctor named Peter Atia came into the picture and met up with Gary Taubes, and the two of them got funding from an organization called the Laura, Laura and John Arnold Foundation, um, and uh they pledged somewhere around $40 million to improve nutritional research. So um, they were going to basically say, you know, all of the nutritional research up until this point was all crap. Um, Gary Taubes had all but called, you know, all obesity researchers idiots on his blog and so forth for years. So they were going to um, revolutionize the nutrition research industry and, you know, there was this whole idea that this was going to be the quote-unquote Manhattan Project of Nutrition. So the idea was that they were going to spend, uh, you know, 90% of the of the monies that had been gathered specifically towards research and not waste any money on superfluous things. And with this essentially unlimited amount of money to, to spend, what kind of really, really great research can we do instead of the quote-unquote bad research that had been done up to that date. So, uh, now, I, I would I have to I would have to say that you are a moderate and in fact the name of your blog is kind of tongue in cheek it's carbon sanity. Um the carb the, the carb asylum, you know, you you're you're more of a moderate. You're like uh and, and actually I think it, it's the right way to be, but why why is it that nutrition uh, science always becomes some sort of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, you know, uh, like like you're looking. Like, well, it's always got to be like all the way to the like. Look, carnivore, right, ca- carnivore, vegan. It's like always yeah. on the periphery. It's never like in the middle. Is it because in the middle just isn't sexy? Well, I think that's one reason. It's it's not sexy to say. Well, I eat. You know, I eat mostly this, but I do eat that from time to time. You know, it doesn't, doesn't, you know, it doesn't play well. It, I think that, that I don't know what it is about humans, but we seem to want to kind of, we definitely seem to want to be part of a tribe and part of a, a movement and part of, you know, doing something different than everybody else's because, you know, God forbid any of us are just, you know, mediocre or average or something like that. I think that might be part of it, but... If you look into, I mean, I've spent an awful lot of time looking into the, the history of nutrition research, you know, dating back. You know, nutrition really didn't come into play until the very late 1800s, early 1900s. And most of it was, you know, gone into to prevent nutritional deficiencies. And kind of like the dark, seedy underside of nutrition research was that most of it was really to um, improve the labor and fighting capabilities of, you know, like peoples in Africa and so Mm. forth from the Europeans. 
Yeah, this, this is really, you know, it, it, or the poor, you know, how can we, you know, create a good working class from from the little Scottish orphan uh, poor boys and things like that. You so know, and it's, it, really, it's really important. There's a certain nuance here that just got passed over by what you said, but the reality is that the ruling class has always looked at the rest of us this way. And we can look at every aspect of all of the different constructs of society today, and they can all be traced back to what ends up increasing the GDP, what ends up making us the most productive, what ends up making every person on the planet contribute their their toil in some way to build Mm – this whole society and no one looks at things like you know you just need to rest no you don't need to rest you can sit there but you'll have to do this work while you're sitting there (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it it really when you really look into it especially a lot of the the work that was done in africa i mean uh it's it's kind of shocking when you look at some of it but uh are you familiar at all with the whole maasai and akakuyu comparison well, it's, I know, I know of, who the Maasai are. They're the ones who do bloodletting, and they 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 keep right, the animals right. around, so the Maasai, but they just drink their blood, right? Right, right. So the Maasai, the only the warriors, the women eat normal food or don't eat that 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 specific diet. It's only the men during their warrior years who basically survive on milk, blood, and some meat. All right. So that has been kind of lionized in the ancestral nutritional community as, oh, look, this is this is a, a great diet. But the, the big comparison was done at the time between them and the larger neighboring tribe, which was the Kikuyu tribe, that was, apparent, you know, at that point they had been marginalized on their lands and, and, and so forth, so they were pretty much relegated to a mostly vegetarian diet. And But the Akikuyu was a much, much larger tribe, and they potentially were a bigger labor force and a bigger fighting force. For the Europeans, and so this is what that research. This is why they did the research into these two tribes. It was not to see what is the most nutritious thing that that humans can eat. It was to see what is why is it that this particular tribe seems to suffer from fewer of these tropical ulcers, or this, or that, or the other thing, or who's stronger to be able to work and fight. And it turns out that the you know the Kikuyu men. They suffered from, they didn't eat vegetables that the women ate because that was considered too feminine in their culture. Mm. So it had nothing to do with fat or anything else or even some of the protein. It was, they, you know, the women got some of these extra nutrients because they ate the vegetables. Right. And they didn't suffer from the things that the men did. And so, but, but the whole focus at the time and if you look in the literature and you look at the glossed over version, you hear, oh, the military said that, you know, 80% of the Kikuyu men were unfit for duty. So therefore, you know, looking back 100 years later, you think, well, gee, their diet must have been horrible, <laughs> you know. Right. And, and therefore, we should all be, you know, letting the blood out of cows and drinking blood and, 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 and milk, uh, you know, gallons a day. But, you know, it's just not... It's not so, you know, when you when you well, really and then, and then, understand. And, and there's one thing that a lot of people don't take into account either. It's basically availability, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, we, 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 we tend to select foods uh, that fit a certain criteria, 
but based on availability. Like like people who live, you know, in the middle of the country, they're not eating ocean fish before airplanes were flying stuff from coast to coast. Right, exactly. And so, you know, and then we go, oh, look at that. And that's my frustration. You know, part of my frustration with this whole Blue Zones and uh, the Okinawans and even the Chinese, you know, the China study, you know, we look at these people and we go, oh, the answer to everything is to eat the way they do. And we, and we, and we forget about their lifestyle and we forget about the influence of availability in the first place. Yes. And, and, and even, and, even the type of food, I mean, if I say to you, Carl, eat more fish, what does that mean to you? Yeah, tuna fish, right? right? Canned tuna fish. Okay, yeah. so tuna or salmon or cod. I mean, if you look at warm water, fresh water fish, they tend to be extremely low fat fish meats. Right. Okay, um, versus your cold water, <laughs> deep water fish like salmon. Right. You know, or or and and even there's there's variations with salmon as well, but. Uh, you know, if you just even talk about that, you know, people who are eating salmon up in, in, in the Arctic regions, this is nowhere near, you know, getting your, your freshwater fish out of the, out of, out of the lake in, in the middle of Africa. You know, it, it's just not the same thing. It's a, it's a totally, it might as well be eating a chicken versus a piece of bacon. Yeah, I mean, it's not obviously not the same no, thing. No, no, but, but I get I get I get your point. I do. I do. And so and so now let me ask you a question that that there's got to be studies out there that have corrected for uh resting energy expenditure and activity that looked at low carb diets, low fat diets, <laughs> even probably low protein diets where people were able to lose weight on any of those dietary templates when you observe the the need for energy or am i wrong like like i remember when i first read keckwick and pawan's research and i thought oh look at this like carbs that only people that gained body fat were the people who ate carbs but they weren't they didn't measure these people's ree at that point in time exactly they just gave them an isocaloric diet we don't know if that was enough food too much food regardless of what the macronutrient skew was we don't know that so we really don't know if the only people that would have gained weight were the people on the carb diet had that been done aren't there aren't there studies out there that have looked at these uh when when you when you correct for the actual energy expenditure energy energy requirement of the person it really doesn't matter what the primary macronutrient is yeah there there have been long you know there there are many many studies that have been done um and really the only ones, if you are doing a diet comparison study in terms of the macronutrients or even the types of food, the only ones that can really, really matter are the ones that are done in metabolic wards because unless you can, with a high degree of confidence, say this is actually what they ate right, and right. this is what actually happened, you can't draw any conclusions based on these studies. And this is what, I mean, NUSI did a, um, they actually did a, a review of the literature. It's no longer on their website. They got rid of it after things went sour. But they did a review of the literature of all of the studies that had been done. And they said, 
well, this one didn't have enough people, and this one wasn't long enough, and this one wasn't... And, and it's true, because there are really three big issues with doing any nutrition research, and this is aside from types of food or anything else, but, mm-hmm. you know, how many people that you can have in your study, because, you know, the more people, the more it's going to cost. Right. How long you can conduct your study, all right? And this is especially important with the metabolic ward study because how long is anybody how long is your really average generalizable person going to want to go live in a, in a hospital i was going to say to right? be taken hostage yeah be taken hostage for <laughs> right a while. right because exactly. so so i mean this is the thing because they say well you know the metabolic wards i mean and it's true right if you wanted to do a year-long metabolic ward study on the average person who's going to sign up for that Okay, no. certainly not somebody who's who can not possibly work from inside there, or you know, I mean, you know, who's going to give up a whole? You know, we're we're talking about Months. you know maybe doing doing experiments on institutionalized people, which has you know is now considered you know extremely unethical, even for dietary studies, which I'm not sure quite why, but um, you know for. Well, yeah, well, then, 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 but then, then you have a whole other issue, right? A lot of the antipsychotic drugs actually cause insulin resistance. They cause uh, obesity. Yeah. They cause a lot of metabolic changes. So you, you'd have to you, that that would be hard to tease out. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, there th- that would be the one, you know, to me that would be the one. You know, go to a white collar prison or something. Go to Bedford, right. and I, I live in New York, so so we have like I think that's where Martha Stewart was. You know, go to that prison and set up a, a nutritional study there, yeah, right? You that's know, a great I mean, idea. It, it, it could, that's a great idea. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't have you wouldn't really have a a, a a bad skew of the general population in terms of other physical characteristics. But right. anyway, yeah, that's it's kind of off the tangent. But I mean, the the, the major the at the very end of the day, you could probably throw out, and, and I've been blogging for, it. this will be my, you know, this is the start of my 10th year of blogging because I started officially in 2010. So this would be my 10th year. Uh, I, I have looked at literally hundreds of studies of nutritional, you know, diet comparison this, diet comparison that. And so many times they'll, they'll have a little table. This is what they ate. And you look at it, and it's like, how can I believe this? Or we prescribed a 30% fat diet to this group and a 40% protein diet to that group, and you go and look and see what did they actually even report, if you can believe what they report. What did they actually eat? Well, they really actually only ate a 35% diet, which is 1% less than they were eating at baseline or they actually lowered their carbohydrate intake. I mean, I was just looking because I, I was on this topic the other day. One study I was looked at, they said, well, we were, the high carb branch was supposed to increase their carbs to 55 to 60% of their intake. And they started out at 49%. Guess where they ended up at the end of the study? 85%. Like 45%. No. Yeah, no, no, nowhere near. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so so not only did they not increase their carbohydrate intake, they actually decreased it. Right. So how can you say that that diet is representative of a high-carb diet? Because they clearly didn't follow the instructions. So, I mean, this is like the 
big thing in all of nutritional research is in any free living study, how do you how do you assess compliance and how do you um, you know how, if you can't say that they complied, how can you draw any conclusions from what you get? And and for me, that's really where I kind of throw my hands up and say we are just literally tossing millions and millions of dollars down the toilet. Well, and, and let's let's be honest, right? Taubes has been challenged before, and he's made it his personal goal to convince people that carbohydrates are evil. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Hold on a but carbohydrates are not evil. I mean, okay, granted, a diet high in sugars may cause some metabolic uh, unwanted metabolic changes, but spinach is a carbohydrate. Surely yeah. Taubes isn't saying spinach is bad for you, but he is, right? I mean, he's the guy who says you got to eat bangers, you know, sausages, and and I mean, he's almost a, a radical, uh, a, a radical ap- approach to the uh, the uh, who was the guy that started this whole thing? The uh, that he passed away. Atkins. At, the Atkins diet. He's like a more radical form of Atkins diet, isn't he? Yeah. That's what he is. Well, I mean. And it's funny because if you read between the lines of Taubes, he does say, well, then it's really only the refined carbs. Because people will say, well, why don't the Japanese, why don't the Japanese have, oh, well, they eat brown rice. They don't eat white rice. But that's not true, No, Gary. they eat a ton of white rice. <laughs> they but then eat again, a ton but then, of white but, rice. But they put a lot you know? of, they put vinegar on a lot of their rice. That may have some yeah, but, glycemic blunting effect. We don't know. I mean, Yeah, or guessing. just they don't eat a lot of fat to go along. I mean, Yes. Uh, you know, the, the same with, like, the Chinese Chinese food in our country is not Chinese food. Right. And, you know, I mean, all of it... Are you he... telling me there's no such thing as a General Tsao? <laughs> Don't tell me that, because i got to believe there's a guy behind that chicken. It's really good. <laughs> okay. They just sell it differently at different restaurants, so you never even know. <laughs> and and you, you just made a good point. When you do consume... Uh, lots of starchy carbohydrates along with fat, the body, because the because our, from our evolutionary gifts, the body is always looking to leverage food just in case we meet a famine again. And so oh, yeah. it's going to make fat and use the carbohydrates for fuel because they're easily converted to blood glucose and bam so it's going to take the fat and it's going to store it that's my understanding am i wrong about that when you eat them together that's really where the the problem becomes yeah well it's not even eating them together so much as we i mean it's a really actually a very simple quote-unquote algorithm i guess is the is the word i would use for um fuel usage we we are, you know, if you look at plants, how do plants store their energy? They store their energy as carbohydrate because it is in most plants, plants are static organisms, right? So it is in a tree's benefit to have a higher weight so it doesn't get blown over right. and, 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 and die, right? But animals need to move. Mm-hmm. So we need to store our energy, our excess energy for a rainy day. We need to store it in the least dense manner. Right. So plants store energy as carbohydrate. Animals store energy as fat. 
And the only kind of cross-referenced thing about all of that is the reproductive organ, right? Nuts. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? The reproductive organs, seeds and nuts. Those are where you find the fat. That's the little bit of fat that plants put ah, in the, the avocado, the, 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 the nuts, the seeds. You know, that is where the fat goes. Right. Because that is, you know, that's where they need to store a little bit of energy. You know, a seed needs to fly, right, sometimes right, to right. go and find another and, and then embed and, and, and grow. But it needs to have a little bit of energy to get things started. So there's a little bit of, of fat in the corn kernel. There's a little bit of fat in the sunflower seed. In, in the, in, in that's the, interesting. You know, I never, I never thought about that. That's the, that's the genetic makeup of the plant. Yep. That's the, genetic, uh, uh, the genetics of the plant. And I, you, when you said reproductive organs, I'm thinking of humans, but you're right. Seeds and nuts, they're reproductive organs. That's exactly Yeah, maybe the organ, are. not so much the right word, but re- the reproductive part, right? So you think of um, eggs, right? The yolk, <laughs> there's right. the energy right in there, you know. Yeah, so that, that's the only place in nature where we kind of see the whole combination. And then, you know, for mammals, milk, right, the, right. The, the, which is the instant food for, for mammals, but not, I mean, even herbivores, right, horses that don't eat any, they have, they, they have milk. Right. And, and, and you know, you know, you know what's milk? interesting about human breast milk? <clears throat> so the early stages of human breast milk have higher degrees of carbohydrates in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of those carbohydrates are actually to sustain the microbes that are being delivered yes. by the mom, not for the baby That's to true. consume. And, and, and more mature breast milk, so you, when, you, when you breastfeed your baby past six or seven months, it's actually high protein, high fat, very, very low carbohydrate at that point in time. So that tells you something. If, if, we, if, we, if we can agree that, um, that the food made by nature to be food for humans is breast milk, everything else we adapted to be food. It didn't kill us. We ate it. We felt good. We kept eating it. You know, there's, there's some interesting facts about breast milk that we could probably take away and superimpose into diets. What do you think about that? Well, okay. Now, now there I got to differ because I really looked into this a lot a few okay. years back when Tim, there was a big controversy with, um, do you know Tim Noakes? Say what? You know who that is? Do you know who Tim Noakes is? No. Um, so he's the guy oh, from yes, the Laura Running. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's now a big low carb. You don't need one gram of carbohydrate in your diet, guy. Um, so he got into some trouble on Twitter for telling a breastfeeding woman that, that the important thing is to um, wean her child onto low-carb food. Um, so what I, I, at that time, I, and, and if you look on, on my blog, I think I have a, I think it's called the Baby Gate. Baby Gate is the um, title of that blog. It's a label on my on my blog. So if anybody goes to my blog and just searches on the Babygate files, there there they'll find them. But I looked into human breast milk, and actually, the the most cons- you know what the most conserved macronutrient is in human breast milk? No, lactose. Interesting. So that's your carbohydrate so source, right depending there. Depending upon depending upon the diet of the mother, protein goes up and down. It's still very low. It's like 5%, 5-6%. And as a matter of fact, there's a lot of research about baby formulas having too much protein um, that, that have caused, that 
that they say is, is um, correlated with obesity. Right. There's some controversy as to whether or not that is the case, but we're talking, you know, sub, way sub 10%. So we're not even talking the, the, the standard adult human diet of, okay. of the Western world. So, you know, the protein is very low in breast milk. Fat goes up and down. Right. But that lactose stays right around the 6 to 7 grams per 100 mils. Interesting. And, and it's, uh, you know, I was looking at a whole bunch of studies that were looking at that. And so it just, you know, it's not, and, and you know, I'm not even saying that, I, I disagree with the fact, with any fact that, that infant milk for a mammal is any clue to what the adult diet for that species should be. That's a good point because, because it's, it's designed to be, the, the, the food that brings the uh, mammal out of the womb and into the world, it's a transitional right. food, if anything. I mean, human babies are born the fattest of all because we, we basically cannibalize our fat to, to grow our brains in the first early times, right. and then we start growing and, and so forth. But, I mean, all mammals, even the herbivores, have, you know, carbohydrate, you know, cow's milk has lactose in it, right? Right. Cows don't eat sugar. Yeah, it's a good in, point. In, you know? The babies do, I get <laughs> Horses don't, you know? So yeah. so to, to look at ba- the baby food and say, well, that's the ideal diet for the adult, uh, for, for that species. It's no, it's the ideal like diet for, for the me. baby. Yeah, it's the ad- ideal exactly. diet Exactly, it's the, the ideal diet to do what we need to do at the time, which for the baby is to... Um, and and it, it's it's incredible if you really look into the research, it, Carl. It's fascinating to me because even with if you if you really delve deep, you can find differences between you know the 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 first day's milk, the second day's milk, the third day's oh, milk, yeah. and so forth. Yeah, this, and, this, this and, the, colost- you know, the colostrum contribution yep, disappeared yep. within four days, and four or five days. Exactly, and it's like so. So you know, what is it about those days? And right. and should we as adults? I mean. I have a lot of friends in the vegan community, especially, who are like, I will never touch dairy because dairy, you know, contains gross fat, you know, things that stimulate IGF-1 and this and that. And, you know, I'm not saying that I agree with that 100%, but they have a point in that when you look at what is in dairy, it's supposed to be to grow a, a, a... a very rapidly growing and changing and, and, and still developing, if you think about it. You know, I mean, coming out of the birth canal, yes, it, it is a, a legal transition from being a fetus to a, to a, a baby, and, and obviously, you, you know, we go from a, a state of total dependence on the mother for, for all, um, you know, circulating nutrition to getting most of our nutrition from the mother um, through, well, you know, naturally, you know, before there were infants, you know, just from breast milk or the baby would die, right? So it, it's a transition, and yet, so so it's just... But it's not the, it's not the final destination. It's kind of it's going a, through those stages. Right. Yeah, it's exactly. A tra- it's a transition. Yeah, like you say, final gestation. It's like those first few days or weeks are really... You know, you can't look at that and say that that has anything to do with what 
me, a now 55-year-old postmenopausal woman, should be consuming to be most healthy in this world. So that, that right. l- l- let's put a nice final point on that. All right, so look, I want to take a break, and when we come back, I want to get focused on Nusi. I want to f- get focused on what they've done, uh, what you feel like they've done wrong. Uh, and, okay. and, and And really, I kind of feel like, yeah, because they set out to prove – an agenda, not search for real science, in my humble opinion. But let, let's do this. Your website is carbsanity.blogspot.com. People can go there and read really uh, very thorough write-ups uh, about nutrition. And uh, we're going to be right back with more Superhuman Radio and uh, Evelyn Koser. Stay tuned. What the? Oh, man. I can't believe this happened. Hold on. <clears throat> I got to stop the tape. This is the problem. This was what this was the. Hi, right, welcome back to uh, Supreme Radio. Those of you listening live, uh, there is no welcome back. We didn't run a spot because there's something going on. I have to restart the computer. I'm sure. All right, so n- tell me about NewSci. So you 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 explained how NewSci got their funding a couple minutes ago, and 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 that sort of thing. Um, Gary Taubes is at the helm, but there's other people involved with NewSci. I saw some other names on their website, right? Yeah, so uh, basically, Nusi was founded by Nusi, Nusi, Gary Tabs. Yeah, they, they they insist that it's pronounced Nusi. Okay, so I'm assuming that that they want you to use the S E E and think that this is a new way of looking at nutrition. All right, that that's my my take on that. But um, the other co-founder was uh, Dr. Peter Atia. So he came on the scene around late 2011, early 2012. His blog at the time was called waroninsulin.com, so that should kind of tell you a little bit of something. Um, but, I, I mean, I can't really quite figure out where that whole thing went, but they managed to get this money. So they got some seed money in 2012 to set up offices and hire a whole staff, et cetera, et cetera. And in 2013, they announced these first of three studies that were going to essentially set the ball rolling on solving the obesity situation within 10 to 15 years. And um, How long ago did this organization, New C, start? So they, they started in 2012, okay. and in 2013 is when they started to get the ball rolling on, on studies. All in all, and, and we can kind of do this as a postmortem, because now here in 2019, we have now seen the last of, in January, the last publication of the fourth study, um, but originally there were three. So they had three studies. One was um, spearheaded by Kevin Hall, Ph.D., who um, is from the NIH and uh, the diabetes section of that. He's done a lot of metabolic work. He's famous for kind of that Biggest Loser study and so forth. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm just going to read you one thing from a graphic from from Nusi, it says, this is what they're going to do. It has a little graphic of the map of the United States, and it says, the best scientists from all corners of the country working as a team, asking the biggest questions, the riskiest questions, the questions that yet have yet to be asked. It's never been done before until now. This is what Nusi said in 2012. All right, so then they took these, millions of dollars, and they said, okay, we're going to fund these three initial studies. And the first one was Kevin Hall's. I think that was about $5 million. 
and his was going to be a metabolic ward study. It turned out to be 17 subjects, four weeks that they put people from uh, a standard diet to a ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. And the results were published in 2016, and guess what? No differences in the metabolic rate and all that, blah, blah, blah. And if anything, there was a little bit more fat oxidation in the high-carb group or, you know, the, the previously before they switched to the, right. to the ketogenic diet. All right. That, that, that and, had to be, that had to be disheartening. Five million dollars to oh, find yeah. out that they were wrong. So, and, you know, and, and Taubes and Taubes went after him and, uh, you know, he ended up having to apologize to him because he went to one of these low carb conferences and basically dissed this man as, you know, someone who was, you know, he just had enough oh, time on the Oh my God. So, he was so the you, youngest. I, he was the youngest of all of the investigators, so he had time on his hands to lead the, the this. This was this was a huge collaboration. Ken Hall was the the lead investigator, but this involved uh, investigators at Pennington Libel. I don't know if you you recognize that name. No. Um, he did metabolic ward studies. I would I want to say back in the nineties. I'm going to maybe make a jerk out of myself by getting the dates wrong, but. Years ago, he did like some of the quintessential metabolic ward studies where they varied, they kept people weight stable and varied the macronutrients from like 15% carb to 85% carb and, right. you know, vice versa with the fat. And they, they, you know, saw no differences. So we're talking, they really did get the best of the best from around the country to work together. And they were touting this as these these supreme scientists, and you know what? They're independent because we we know that some of them don't agree with us. And then when the results came down, and they didn't agree with them, they, they tried to trash them. That that's horrible. You know what? So that that shows right there that they have uh, they have a bias that they're only interested in work that supports their position exactly. and not the truth. They're not interested in the truth at all. Exactly, and and in 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 essence, at, at some point, um, Hall and, and the rest of them severed their their relationship with Nusi because Nusi was supposed to only just fund. They weren't supposed to have. I mean, one of the big things about nutrition research, right? So somebody funds a study and they say, oh well, you know, it, it shows, oh, uh, eating almonds is good for your health, and yeah. they say, well, the almond industry funded that study, right? Right. right? And, and I agree, you know, we should be very, very skeptical. If the almond industry funded that study, we should be skeptical. Right, and, and what, 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 we're seeing, show, what we're seeing here is the low, a low-carb, agenda-driven group is funding studies and getting pissed off when those studies don't support yeah, exactly. their agenda. And they're, and they're saying that, you know, it's, it's their, their fault. When they, they identified this, as, this is the people we want to give our money to. <laughs> it's really crazy. So, so 2016, I mean, it was the, at this point the writing was on the wall. Atia had already walked away from Nusi uh. by the time that this study was was with three quarters of a million dollars in salary. I might add, in his last year, um, walked away from Nusi with no fanfare. Nobody asked any questions. Nobody was allowed to ask any questions. And when this study came out. Gary Taubes was all over the place trashing Kevin Hall. Very sad. Very, very sad. It's very sad. And for me, 
Um, it, it's kind of like a weird, I have a weird relationship. Non, I, I, I never knew Kevin Hall, right. but when I first started blogging, I found a little nitpicky thing in the, my, my, my basic claim to fame is that in good calories, calories, bad calories, Gary Taubes was talking about this molecule called glycerol 3-phosphate. Mm-hmm. And this is a molecule that is required to convert free fatty acids to triglycerides within the fat tissue. And Gary Taubes was like, oh, you need carbohydrate to make this thing. Therefore, without it, you cannot fix fat in the fat tissue. So this was his original uh, his original argument argument right and I looked into his original reference it was like a 1970 textbook 19 late late 60s or I think early 70s I want to say 72 and I found where right in there it said you don't need that because there's always enough cholesterol to phosphate around there's always enough ability to make it. And what I learned at the time was that um, Kevin Hall and his his uh, um, colleague at NIH, Carson Chow, they had basically confronted Taubes at a conference and told him the exact same thing that there's always enough. But, but he didn't want. But he didn't want to hear that, so he ignored it. Obviously, right. Right. So he not only did he ignore it, you know, you know, he you know, was, you know what I find really. He sad was about always his... downplaying this guy. He was always saying he's a young biophysicist. Every single time, young, young, young. He's younger than you and I am, but he's not that young, and he's he's not like in diapers or anything. You know, right. this is a an established scientist who's you know in a high position at the so NIH. What, so what you're saying is that Taubes was referring to him as a young bio uh, uh, a scientist yeah. because he was Constantly. trying to say, look, you know, this kid doesn't know what he's doing yet. Exactly. He, he doesn't exactly. know yet. And even and even after his own study that that Newsy funded and Hall was the, the the director of that study, there were many many other uh, esteemed researchers in that. But he said. Oh well, he was—he only headed that because he was the youngest one with enough energy to, you know, have and free time on his hands, basically, to to do that study. Oh my God! So they, you they, know, they really I mean, tried to I mean, diminish his diminish, diminish his ability to to exactly. understand this stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's infuriating. You know, I, you can hear it in my voice. I get so upset because it's just like, how can you even? do that to somebody you you well it just goes to show you. so the, <laughs> the interesting thing about gary Taubes, he he's actually been on my show many years ago maybe nine years ago he was on the show and you know i, I treated him very cordially and his information at that point was very very interesting and because i've kind of gravitated to a low carb lifestyle but when i say low carb i eat a lot of vegetables uh i'm mm-hmm. probably a, a high protein high plant-based guy that's that's what i would mm-hmm. call myself so I found his information interesting. I wanted to believe that there was a magic, a magic nu- nu- nutrient, uh, you know, uh, uh, formula. I wanted to believe that there was a, a magic macronutrient out there that if I ate more of that, no matter how much I ate, I would stay lean. I think Jimmy Moore wanted to believe that too. Poor guy. I feel bad. No, I'm <laughs> I mean, being sincere. So yeah, no, no. I feel bad. I, I, you know, I've often thought of reaching out to Jimmy and saying, "You don't have to let anybody know. Let me help you." 
I'll, I'll help you get lean. I'll help you get muscular. You could stick to the diet you're sticking to. Because the one thing that Taubes doesn't adjust for, the one thing that nobody adjusts for is activity. You know, um, I've heard arguments about, oh, well, well, you know, we eat more sugar now than we did in the 20s and we're fatter than, well, you know what? We were, we were, we were more active in the 20s. We walked everywhere. Like, we didn't have, you know, you, you, you walked everywhere. You, if you didn't own a car, you, most people were laborers in one shape or form of another. So, so, you know, when they talk about the French paradox, they forget that the French walk to and from the restaurant. And we already yes. know that walking after a meal, postprandial, actually adjusts blood sugar and does different things with nutrients. So, the, the, the and, you, I, and you know what, Carl? Can I interrupt you yeah, for one quick second? Yeah. Because you just used a magic word. You said activity. You didn't say exercise. A- exercise and, is not and, a, is not a, is not a replacement factor. And, Training for one hour doesn't get it done. Yes, and, and it's not just. But it's not just so much that. It's this idea that they've looked at. They they've done all these studies with exercise, and they say exercise alone doesn't change anything. And it's like, well, yeah. That's not the same as being active. I mean, you know, you and I were talking at the beginning about, you know, trying to live on one leg. It was a huge adjustment for me to be sitting on my butt all the time because, you know, I'm not going to just stand around on one leg, you know. And um, I have developed an increased appreciation over the last year as to what it just means to be able to walk, yes. let alone to walk. Yes. You know, to go to a mall and actually walk around a mall. But you know, um, but you know, but you know, but you know walking. What, you know what the you know what the analogy I come up with whenever people start talking about exercise versus activity, I say, if I give you a book for a college course and then have you take a test, will you pass? Of course not. Because you have to go to school for that. You have to spend the time in the classroom asking questions. Handing you the book and saying, read it. You don't know what's important in that book and what's not. Going yeah. to the gym for an hour a day is a wonderful thing. It is. But I, I wear an aura ring. Even with one leg, I get 8,000 steps a day on one leg. Wow, kudos to you. <laughs> I know, but you know what it is? I can't. I I don't. I haven't let the leg slow me down. I've. I keep yeah. doing. The problem today is that people look to diet for the answers to weight loss and to obesity, and activity fixes all of it. It fixes insulin. If your theory is insulin, it fixes the mitochondria. If your theory is the mitochondria, activity is is king. But the problem is to come full circle to something we talked about earlier in the show. That I didn't intend to roll back into, but that okay. doesn't that doesn't work for the modern economy. You know, telling somebody that working the graveyard shift at FedEx is killing them that doesn't work when they have to send kids to school. So what ends up happening exactly. is the industrial revolution is what caused this problem. The industrial revolution, where they said you eat in the morning, we'll pay for one meal in the afternoon, then you eat at night, and 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 people became compartmentalized instead of being able to roam free work do work outside in the fields and stuff that's my humble opinion a bigger problem than sugar being in the diet oh i i totally agree it's crazy and and it and, and and but i also think that activity apart from i mean if we want to really talk about the metabolic aspects of it all and appetite activity is a bigger factor when we talk about calorie, like everybody's like, okay, 
I, I mean, and I, I think most people look at me and say, oh, she's just all about calories in, calories out. And if you asked me, you know, do I, you know, to, to distill it down to that, that's really what it comes down to. But I'm, I'm not at all ignoring the fact that how much we would eat is influenced by everything else. So just the fact, I mean, when I was, you know, laid up with my, my uh, cast for the first two weeks, I basically didn't move except to go to the bathroom. Um, you know, you get bored, you eat more. So just even walking, moving, getting in, getting out, you know, even when I, I've noticed huge differences when I do the same exact job, but I teach in a classroom versus teach online. It just makes a difference other than the calories I expend to walk or to do this. It, it, it makes a, a difference in your whole, you know, appetite and everything else. And, and this is what I think is more important than whether the food that you eat instigates an insolent response. I agree. And they they know it too. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. They know it, but they don't. And here's why. All of these experiments with nutrition always start off with gauging a person's energy requirement. Mm -hmm. Well, well, their energy requirement is influenced by how active they are. Mm -hmm. And so, and so like if they would stop focusing on the food side of the equation and start focusing on the act, oh, wait a minute. So you're telling me that activity increases metabolic rate and, and, and if you don't eat enough to meet your metabolic rate, you'll lose weight. Instead, they're doing it backwards. They're going, well, no, no, let's, let's eat less to meet a sluggish lifestyle. No, that's not the answer. The answer is, and see, nobody wants to hear this because nobody wants to move. And, and Dr. Daniel Lieberman said it best to me on the show when we talked about his book, The Story of the Human Body, which everybody, every doctor should read that book. But he said, look, Carl, it, it's, we are programmed to accumulate energy in the way of food and, and do things that keep us from burning energy in the way of activity. He said, if you have two coconut trees in a hunter-gatherer area and one of them has an escalator, they're not going to climb the tree anymore. They're going to take the escalator up to get the coconut. <laughs> exactly. Because we're programmed to conserve energy and consume energy. And, and that's what – so so nobody wants to hear, hey, fat ass, move more, and you're going to get lean. Nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear, no, no, if you just eat this or you just eat that, that's what they want to hear. Exactly. Really sad. So, talk about we're going to just do, do a commercial free show today. So, talk about uh, Dr. Ludwig's uh, research. You wrote most oh, recently boy. about the, uh, that in your blog. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I recently I, I'm up to five parts on on that study. And for people so, who don't know who Ludwig is, he's the guy that you know sugar is is uh, sh- sugar is poison. It's uh, what is it? Uh, I'm trying to think what he says. Is, is no, it, no, that's Lustig. Oh, I'm sorry, Ludwig. Yeah. Lustig, Lustig is the the sugar is poison, but Ludwig is the is is now the the torchbearer for uh, Gary Taub's carb insulin hypothesis. So um, I think it was 2012, he came out with a study where they took, I think it was like, it was like I think it was 23 people. And what they did was they cut their, their baseline intake by 60% for 12 weeks. And guess what happened? They lost weight, right? Right, sure. <laughs> okay, so they lost an average of 13.5% body weight. 
on this diet. And then they did a crossover design where they randomly assigned them to one of three diets for four weeks. So they did a low-carb one, which was higher in protein. Then they did a low-glycemic index one. Um, and then they did a high, uh, a low fat one. Right. So, you know, and they did it in random orders. And what they came out with at the end of this whole thing was that miraculously, somehow the total daily energy expenditure of the low carb group was some 300 calories greater than the other ones, the other diet, right. the, the, the low fat diet. Right. But they didn't, their weight stayed the same. Because what they did was they, 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 they made them, they wanted to, to study people who were reduced weight. So they did like a run-in phase where they made them lose weight, and then they put them on these maintenance diets. And in that study, they fixed the calories for four weeks on each of these diets, and their, their weight stayed like dead stone level, at least the mean weight. We don't know about the individuals because they don't have that, I don't have that data. Right. But. And, and and yet somehow the the low carbers had about burned about three hundred calories more a day. But but so the they New did, York but they Times, didn't lo- but they didn't lose weight. Exactly. So the New York Times and everybody, oh, you know, higher expenditure, blah 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 blah. And this distinction, this and and really the there was a a, a differential between the actual intake because they provided. I call this a semi-medical metabolic ward they provided them with all the food and they had to eat most of their meals they lived in a metabolic ward or they just provided them. so this is why i call it semi-metabolic ward so they provided all of their meals they ate i think it was like one meal a day during the during the week at the facility so they had routine monitoring and then they you know everything else was take home but you and i I know that's no good because you and i know that people under report what they perceive as bad behavior but I mean, if we, I mean, we can assume. I'm thinking under that thing, we can pretty much. I think we can assume a little bit of compliance if the weight stays stable. Would you agree with me on that? Yes, yes, because they're, they're, you not, know? Pig- yeah. they're not picking. And, out. and you're right. being provided all your foods. Right. So this is like Carl. You're getting Nutrisystem. Just like I was going to say, Jenny Craig, right? Jenny Craig or Nutrisystem, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, Jenny Craig. Right. So you're getting this, you know, you're, you're getting, you're going to, and, and, and not only that, you're going to a cafeteria uh, like one day a week for during Monday through Friday and you're having your meals and there and then you take the rest of it home with you and you're given spatulas to rub it out and tell them, you know, oh, I didn't eat this or I, you know, I, I, I screwed up, I ate an apple, you know, whatever right, it is. Right, You know, right. so, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's better than here's your weight lost plan, go go forth and conquer, right? So it's right. it's 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 a lot better. I, I I will concede that and I would agree with that. I think this is you know, I think all nutritional studies, if they're not feeding studies like this, should be just get rid of them. Because <laughs> you, you need to you need to at least do this much so that you can improve um the compliance. So right? so the bottom but so, the bottom line in this particular study was to to to, to see that if these different eating styles led to weight loss, and they did not, right. they weren't no, to see no, if you but, could speed up someone's metabolism. Because it was intentionally metabolism. actually to be weight maintenance. Right. And if, the, if this caloric expenditure was real, they should have lost weight. Right. 
Okay, so in the in the original study, it was only four weeks. So we do the calculations. It was about a kilogram or two pounds. I can see how that might not be sufficient to see um, over that time frame. You know, statistically, blah blah blah, all that. So Nusi picked up on this in 2012, and they sponsored a different version of somewhat the same study. So this was the big 12 million dollar expenditure, they got hundred about 150 people was their goal, and they would, again, diet them down on the same diet, 25% protein, <laughs> okay, 25% fat, 40, 45% carb, whatever it was, right. um, you know, the same quote-unquote high carb, they fixed them at 90% of their resting energy expenditure using the Mifflin-St-Gior uh, regression equation. So that's a pretty good equation, and um, it, it actually held out well if you put in all of the stuff, all of the data from that entire experiment. Um, it, was, it was really that, that if you want to estimate how many calories you burn, Mifflin-St-Gior really held up very well okay. uh, for, for all of these uh, subjects all time points, whether they were losing weight, maintaining weight, etc. So I think, um, you know, if I if there's one thing I'd like to just kind of get out there and sneak in is that anybody who's trying to lose weight, go in and, and look up that, that equation, put in your age, and you don't need any special test, age, height, weight. Put it in, figure out what your, what your resting energy expenditure is, and go from there. It's a pretty, it's a really, really decent, Estimation not going to be perfect for everybody. Good place to start. And you know, right. there, and, so there anyway. are, and there are apps out there now. So, so we had yeah. a, a, oh, yeah. we had a sponsor called Breezing, and they have a little. And, and Ron Penna compared it to a bomb calorimeter at a university in California. He said it was exactly the same. But there are units out there that you can get really, really like daily, weekly, whatever you want to do. You can figure out your metabolic rate very quickly. So keep that oh, yeah. in mind. I mean. If, if you are struggling and the, the, the equation doesn't work, I would go get yourself actually measured. Yeah. So that you just know, so that you just know, yeah. you know, whether, and you had mentioned that unit, one of these days I got to pin you down and, and, and we'll look, because I'd be interested in knowing that. But, you know, it, it doesn't really cost even all that much to go get that test. It's no, hard to ten find do- it some ten places. Dollars. If you, usually most universities that have, uh, that do uh, uh, exercise uh, physiology type science stuff. They have a bomb calorimeter somewhere sitting, getting dust on it. And if you call whoever is in charge of the lab, they'll usually charge you ten dollars. And you walk in, wow. you sit down, they put a clip on your nose, you put this mouthpiece in, you breathe for right, five yeah. minutes, it's, and you're it's, done. It's a ten minute breath test. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, but but even even the equation itself works pretty good. Yeah. So getting back to the Nusi's study. So what they did was they, they di- again, they dieted down these people. They were supposed to get 12% weight loss, but it wasn't really, it was much more varied. It was 5.9 to 16. But anyway, let's ignore that. <laughs> right. All right. And so then they randomized them to three groups. And they this time they fixed the protein, which was an improvement over the last study. Um, but then for 20 weeks, they fed them these either um, uh, low-fat, um, essentially a moderate, uh, either a low carb, moderate carb, 
or high carb diet. So it was 20%, 60 20%, 40%, 60% uh, carb. And at the end of the day, the actual results were no difference in resting energy expenditure, mm. no difference in the intake, which should be, you would think, they went through all of this. I just was responding to somebody on Facebook the other day that was gooing and gawing about how, oh, they prepared 100,000 meals. Well, then that should be, you know, a good, you know, indicator that, that, that you should have some confidence in the intake, right? So no difference in intake, no difference in REE. Somehow there's a 300-calorie difference in the total energy expenditure. And do you think that that is – could that be just like uh, some – uh, it's experimental error. You know. It's definitely um, Hall and 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 Guau have done. Um, I'm Guau Guau. I'm. I hope I'm not totally. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. yeah um, they they have published two responses to the um, this study showing that uh, first of all, if we use the baseline data versus the post waste loss data, that there's no difference even in that total energy expenditure. Um, Hall has, has um, with some colleagues, published some issues with the doubly labeled water method and how low-carb diets can skew it. Um, is, that because, I don't know, is that because carbohydrates pull water? Yeah, because it, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's a whole, because the whole double labeled water method is, is based on the fact that body water turnover is, correlated with energy expenditure. Yeah, and if you're okay. going if you're going low was, carb, you're going to give up a lot of water just by Exactly. It, so it so you have different rates right. of water turnover. So it's it's like it's like saying, you know, if everybody is consuming kind of the same diet, it's a really good way of assessing energy expenditure. It 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 happens to be a pretty good way of seeing if people who are in the hospital on total Enteral nutrition and so so forth. If they are, you know, it, it you know need more calories, less calories. If it, you know, it's a it's a good way to look at 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 um, preemies and so forth. Right. But if you are totally changing the diet like crazy, or if you are in in sufficient caloric imbalance, it's really not so good, and I'm even. I'm. I'm beginning to uh, look at. I mean, I, I. I agree with you. We've talked about this before. Humans, everybody is really bad at reporting yeah. of of intake, and so we do tend to underreport. But there are some studies that have you know that that say that you know so and so underreported by uh, you know forty percent, and in this study itself where they are giving the people food and they maintain their weight, there are subjects that would be accused of, quote-unquote, underreporting by at least 40%. Yeah, that's huge. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, the average difference between the intake, and again, I I have to stress this because intake of Jenny Craig Nutrisystem type style Provided meals, everything, 
intake difference average of 500 calories a day. That's a lot for, for, for everybody having their period. That's, oh, yeah. That's huge. Because, because I calculated using their, their, own, their own formulas, I calculated that during the weight loss phase, their calorie deficit was about 950 calories a day. Are you still there? Yeah, I was drinking water. Sorry. Okay. All right. That's okay. Um, so I, I calculated that during the weight loss phase, their average calorie deficit was 950 calories a day. And the average calorie deficit from the reported intake and, and the TEE measurements during the maintenance phase, 20 weeks, was 500 calories a day. That's a lot. That's a, so, big, that's a big difference. So basically, they should have doubled their, their weight loss, right? If I lose yes. 10 pounds in, in 10 weeks at one deficit, then I should lose 10 pounds in 20 weeks at half that deficit, right? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and they maintain their weight. So they, they have no explanation for this. They, they had these, these people wearing accelerometers and all sorts of things, so they, they, they did not change their activity levels. They didn't change anything else. They, you know, they had this intake. So there's, you know, what we're left with is just a really big smokescreen from the new sea people. Well, now, they're wait a minute. I wanna, to... I wanna, now, now, their goal is to prove the insulin Exactly. Resistance equal. Now, didn't you also write a blog that shows that weight loss was was still possible even while insulin resistance was present? Oh yeah. So so, so doesn't doesn't that, doesn't that doesn't that in and of itself go? Oh, it's not insulin resistance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the funny thing is that that you know in the Ludwig study they really demonstrated for once and for all that that insulin resistance has nothing to do with weight loss. They, they provided three measures of insulin and insulin resistance at baseline. They measured fasting insulin, insulin, excuse me. They um, administered an oral glucose, glucose tolerance, tolerance test, test right. and measured the insulin at 30 minutes. So the, you know, the hyper secretors, right? So the idea that if you, secrete too much insulin in, in response to carbohydrate, that that's trapping fat. Right. And then the third one is the, the HOMA IR, which is a, a combination of fasting insulin and blood glucose levels. All right. So that, that is your general uh, biomarker for insulin resistance. So they measured all three of those at baseline. For whatever reason, they didn't measure those any time after that. Interesting. You think they didn't want okay. to know? You think they measured it? They didn't I think they didn't want to know. They measured leptin and ghrelin and all sorts of other stuff, but they didn't measure. Apparently, there were OGT. You know the that that seems that seems to be a very suspicious oversight on their part, considering that their whole premise is that insulin resistance equals uh, obesity. You would think mm-hmm. that they would track insulin resistant uh, uh, data. Throughout every step of the way, they wouldn't just, yeah. you know, you know, the, oh, and, the, and, the and army. Carl, it's, good, good. <laughs> yeah. And, and Carl Ludwig had to defend himself against the, the fact that they, they changed their final analysis after from the initial, initially they were going to compare the energy expenditures to the baseline. So before the weight loss. And they changed that to now they were comparing it to 
the post-weight loss energy expenditure. Mm. And Ludwig was adamant, well, it should be closer to And, you know, I would agree. I think that that, that would be a better anchor if you allow a long enough time for stabilization before you switch the diets. I, I would agree. You That's know, maybe, maybe you know, I'm not. But, I'm, you know, I'm didn't, the, they, but they didn't do the other things at that baseline. They didn't redo their oral Google tolerance test. Why right. not? Right. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I don't, I don't uh, you know, pretend to understand the scientific method in detail, the way these things are done. But it seems to me that if your argument is that insulin resistance equals uh, obesity, then you would show that as insulin resistance improved, fat loss occurred. That would exactly. be the hallmark of your study. You'd go, oh, look, exactly. we proved it. But, but to, to, to not track the, the insulin resistance level of these individuals as they went through this, this, uh, this, uh, this analysis, it seems to be suspicious to me. And I'll tell you why I say that. So, you know, the, 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 the army has said that they care about their soldiers. And I know people are going to call. What are you talking about? But they take brain scans, CT scans of enlisted personnel on the way in. But they don't take them on the way out to compare to see if there's been any TBI. And you'd say yeah. to them, they, they say, well, no, we care about our soldiers. We do brain scans. You do them on the way in before they've been bombed. Then you don't yeah. do them on the way out. So to me, that's what Taubes' group did with this Ludwig study. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to prove this, but we're just not going to track it. We're just going to find ways to manipulate yeah. the data to make it look yeah. like we know what we're talking about. Yeah. So they, ne- they never looked and saw because everybody – and, and, and wouldn't you know, like, the, I think it's the low-carb, uh, the low-carb group lost more weight during the, the, the initial thing, but that had nothing to do with the low-carb diet. It had to do with just the fluke of randomization. Right. right? But, um, yeah, so, so they, they really, they didn't look at, at, at any of that um, information in there, and... Um, I lost my train of thought there. Well, um, I, I, I'll jump in here just for a second, right? So a lot of times I like to look at hunter-gatherer nations because we, we, you know, we're, we're, we're so caught up in science knows everything. And we presume to understand what diets we should be eating. But when we look at there are existing hunter-gatherer nations today that are still studied. And Joel Green uh, came on my show last year. Because I was hot on the trail of some interesting information about being in ketosis too long, actually shifting mRNA in in both sperm and in ovum, because the 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 the, the body presumes that the baby is going to be born into a world where there's only these fats available. Mm-hmm. So the body goes, oh, we got to build a different baby now to be prepared for the environment. And so we were talking about that, and he talked about. Uh, a group of hunter-gatherers that have been studied very, very well. And I made the supposition and said, I would presume to, to think that the only time hunter-gatherers found themselves in ketosis was during a time of lack of food availability of any kind. So we looked at this particular, the, 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 the Guino, the Guino, I can't think of the name of this hunter-gatherer tribe. And, and Joel has studied them and he broke down their diet. Their diet was 60% carbohydrates, but yet they're lean. They're, they're, they're lean and they don't have obesity. They don't have, di- they don't mm-hmm. have diabetes. They, they regularly, uh, they regularly forage. They, uh, they, they have in the Amazon, 
honeybees make like literally like walls of honey. It's not like just a little. Oh yeah, bees. oh yeah. And and they rig, they they go, they eat all the honey. They eat, and he said their their diet is between forty and sixty five percent carbohydrates. And 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 they're not fat and they're not obese. They're not diabetic. They don't have insulin resistance. So it's like, oh, what are we talking about here? Why are we trying to reinvent the wheel? Why don't we recognize that without activity, diet fails? That's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's more than just activity, though. I mean, I think a lot of it does have to do with the combinations because we don't, you know, you know, kind of big piggybacking on your availability. We don't have times in in historical times where both carb and fat are available at the same time and that we make these concoctions, all right? But at the same time, I I kind of reject a little bit. I think uh, I'm a little bit younger than you, but not by much. And I grew up in the 60s and, you know, we had Fruit Loops, and they called them sugar frosted flakes yeah, back then. They were great, and um, you know, yeah. I mean, I used to. I, my mom was a little bit, I guess, of a kind of a, like a Weston A. Price type person. I mean, I she used to sprout lentils and things like that. Um, you know, so I, I was like a little bit more of one of those little health nut kids. I had the Ezekiel bread to bring my my natural peanut butter and jelly sandwiches right, that's to, very cool. to school on. Yeah. You know, it was kind of crazy, but um, you know, and. None, no, you know, we had the one or two fat kids back then, even I, though my friends were eating fruit rolls and Hostess cupcakes and everything. So I think it's more than just, I mean, you know, yeah, I think that the activity is a huge part, but it's also more than just, you know, the, the well, you know, if, 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 type of food if and, nutritional and scientists, If nutritional scientists would start including athletes in their in their studies – You'll see how everything gets turned. You know, you take um, you take a swimmer that's training for the Olympics, and they're eating eight thousand calories a day. They're lean, 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 lean. Why? Because they're active all day long. You take athletes, except football players, right? But you take you take athletes that are training uh, year round. They they eat five, six, seven, eight thousand calories a day, ten thousand calories a day, and they're lean, 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 lean. So th- this flies in the face of. The whole diet equals the answer to me because if that was the case, yeah. we would have fat uh, athletes. We have fat athletes then, you know. Yeah, and we, we I know. I and, mean, and 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 we do. And, and look at who are the fat quote unquote athletes. It's the ones who are not really training. Doing, yeah. Um, you know, high levels of activity. Right. I mean, even, you know, you can look in the, in, in the, the bodybuilding fitness realm that I have been circulating in, and you look at the, the strength athletes are not necessarily, um, you know, your ideal physique or weight or, right. or health. That, that's right? a, and I, and, I, I didn't say bodybuilding because right away people go drugs, but that's, that also isn't accurate because bodybuilders, real bodybuilders, they are active all day long. They are training in the morning. Sometimes they're doing two a days. They're doing cardio a couple times a day. And, yeah. So, you know, but, but I, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, even I'm not, I'm just even going to take that out of the equation and just say, your your physique bodybuilder is lean, and your strength athlete, your 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 heavy your powerlifter types are general. Some of them are just outright fat. Well, but there's a reason for that. There's a phenomenon in strength athletes 
called tissue leverage. It actually alters your center of gravity. Uh, And also because a lot of these uh, athletes wear, uh, uh, they call it gear, but they they wear lifting suits. They wear, uh, you know, lifting shirt. They they wear these shirts that are literally like canvas uh, uh, fire hoses. And it's it's, uh, like the first time I saw a guy bench press 800 pounds in a shirt, I said to him, his name was Manuel. He was a Cuban guy from Florida. I said, well, why didn't you he, – he, he unracked the bar and he had the bar extended. I says, you know, why did you wait so long to press it? I thought he was going to say, oh, I was concentrating. He says it, it takes a long time to pull the bar down with the shirt on. I said, pull the bar down. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, that, that, that shirt, it compresses me like a sausage. He said, so mm-hmm. I have to literally pull the bar down to me, but then I have to press it back up. Then the weight is engaged and I have to press it. So a lot of them are overweight because – they actually depend on tissue leverage. When they get down, their belly hits their legs. They come back up faster, things like yeah. that. So, I mean, yeah. but, but, you know, focusing on the, on the importance, is that, a, is that a healthy state? Probably not. Probably not. I, I, you know, so, I mean, you know, I'm just saying, you know, I, I think that there's, that there's a lot of focus on, on some of the, those things in, in the fitness community. And I, I go back and forth because, I mean, I really – I have friends and, and people that I respect and, and people that I don't respect in all, in just about every community that, that, that's around. And I, I just, for me, Lucy was a, a massive, massive, massive failure. They took $40 million, which ended up being, I think it was cut short to um, like 20 yeah, like whoever, yeah, whoever gave him the money said, "Hey, this isn't working. I'm not putting another twenty million yeah, into this." Yeah, I mean, and they're still funding Ludwig, but they, you know, they they took out that, and and in essence, I I cannot understand, and I, you know, me as a as just a a, a citizen of the United States, when when somebody has a not for profit that spends, uh, you know. Uh, we, 2017 data is not out yet, but they spent about $31.5 million. Um, well, they got in about uh, $31.5 million uh, through 2016. And they, you know, out of that, they only doled out $18 million in grants. So where's the rest of that money? So the rest of that money went to, you know, salaries. And other expenses and salaries, I think, were like six million dollars, seven million dollars. Maybe they should change the name, the name of the the group from New C to New Scam. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, you know, the the last thing they did when the Arnold Foundation in 20 in 2014, they had those first three studies. And and you know what the worst part is, is that they were saying that they were going to communicate these results rapidly and effectively to the community so that they can put forth when Hall's study came out they trashed the man. When Gardner's study came out, most people it was a yawn. Gardner did a it's called Diet Fits, if you if anybody wants to look up the acronym D I E T F I T S, uh, they'll they'll come up with that study. He took uh I think it ended up being like a, a few hundred people did very low carb. A few hundred people did very low fat whole food diet for a year, and and the, it was a wash. Man. Everybody, you know, some people lost a lot of weight, some people lost nothing, 
There was yeah. no difference between groups. It, they did all this stuff with the, the insulin, and there was no difference. Ah, that was my point. <laughs> um, the, you know, I, I ran scatter plots for the Ludwig study. They all used the same diet to lose weight. I ran for all of the baseline insulin measures, fasting insulin, hormone, whatever, no difference. Really? Every, you know, and, and if anything, the, the fit line was level, right at the mean average weight loss. So what is, so what is Gary, so has Gary Taubes come forth and made any comments okay. about this? Has he said, boy, we failed miserably, or did he say, I got to yeah. go back and rethink no, this whole thing? Uh, you know what? He he's basically not said anything. Newsai has not put out anything on their organizational um, website or their Twitter or their social, you know, their Facebook. No social media. No acknowledgement of any of this. And the only person who's been kind of touting any of this still is Ludwig. And Gary Tabs will retweet Ludwig stuff. And he's still doing talks and so forth. But he's, he, and he published since his book, The Case Against Sugar, you know, in which, you know, and, and there have been some, some very good, um, Stefan DNA has, has done a, a, at least is one person that comes to mind who's done, you know, great work countering that, that particular thing. Um, and, and Gary Tubbs really has not acknowledged Anything and and Atia walked away from Nusi and said, "There's nothing else to say." Yeah, he really just disappeared. You found Carl. If you had co-founded a forty million dollar organization, I, I'm actually to, thinking. To I'm actually thinking. I'm in the wrong business. Science, right? And just walked away from it. Yeah, you would have nothing to say. Mm. <laughs> I'm in the wrong business. I'd like to. Uh, I'd, like yeah. to I'd like to be involved in something that uh, I walk away with a few million dollars, and I didn't ever actually produce anything. Yeah, that'd be a pretty and, good and, deal. And, and really, pretty much didn't have to do anything because Lucy never really did. They didn't buy any equipment. They didn't. Um, but they they had a, a apparently at one point fifteen full time employees. I don't know what they did, but all they their entire function, their entire function was to take money from the Laura and John Arnold Foundation, and give it to scientists. Yeah, the scientists. scientists were the ones who did all of the work for figuring out, you know, study design, blah, 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 wow. all of that. Man, oh, man. That's, it, so I they didn't did realize nothing. This. this is yeah. terrible. This is terrible. It, it, it really, I mean, it's, it's, it's so mind-boggling that this kind of stuff goes on under the, the radar, and it's just like, wow. Millions of dollars, millions, and and you know, like you know, right now they they just finally published this um, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease study in adolescent boys. It was like a million dollar study. Tim Ferriss went on his blog in 2014 to try to drum up because he was on the advisory board of Nusi, and he went up to to drum up uh, donations and. Um, he promised to match 50,000 and then some anonymous reader promised to, to match another 150,000. And the whole study ended up having to be funded again by the Lauren, the Arnold Foundation. Mm. And it was 1.2 million. Oh, and gosh. I'm looking at this study going, they spent 
$950,000 quote-unquote fundraising in 2014. Holy crap. They spent like $3.5 million they they of the was, Arnold Foundation money to quote-unquote fundraise. They should have just used that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You know, you know what's really funny? So I'm at their website right now. They have zero traffic to their website. Maybe they have one or two yeah. people a day. So you would think that and, – and and when you go to the website, it's a very impressive website, right? It's got this great – Oh, yeah. They, great, re, they redid it in 2016. This is new, by the way. They, our, they our did goal, nothing from 2015 to 2016 but redid the website. It's called <laughs> Nutrition Science Initiative. Mm-hmm. Our goal, conclusive evidence in the next decade, and then I, you said that 15 years, now they shorten it to the next decade, because they've already burned through five years, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, but interesting enough, they have all of these, uh, these words that fly at you, you know, obesity, yep. and, and, and like, and they're, they're gonna solve all these problems, and, and yep. you would think that if they were working on legitimate stuff, there would be some sort of fervor around them. There's nobody visiting this website. Yep. Nobody. No. They spent, I think they spent a grand total of like a hundred grand on the website design, redesign, redesign, redesign alone. Oh my gosh! In the last since since it started. What a shame! And that money could have actually <laughs> been used to to study exactly something that, good. That that that's you know that's something that I'm going to really drive the point home when I finally publish my article on the 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 fatty liver disease study because it's like it was a one million dollar study. It could have been you could have spent. Ten million dollars and actually done a real study. Yeah, that that could have that could have answered more questions instead of this. You know, it, it's it's just another one of those. You know, all of the things that they identified in 2012 as the problems, same problems with their studies. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. And, one and, one of the one of the words that fly, one of the lines that flies at you is is sugar addictive. <laughs> and I love when people say they. So you have uh, guys out there. I want to think. I think it's uh, David Avocado Wolf. One time he posted oh, something my about favorite. that sugar sugar is as addictive as cocaine. And yeah. I and I commented <laughs> on it. Says people who've never done cocaine because I've done cocaine, yeah. and trust me. Cocaine is definitely different than sugar. Anybody who thinks that sugar does the same thing to your brain that cocaine does is just stupid. You're just stupid, and, and you're showing your stupidity by saying something like that. I mean, it's yeah, just crazy. Th- that one, that one is is my favorite. I, I wrote a a little ebook called um, Restriction Addiction that focused on sugar addiction back in 2014. One of these days, I want to get that back out. I'll come back on and talk about yeah, it if let's I ever it. get it out let's back out there. But yeah, sugar is not addictive. Not not that way. I mean, yeah, yeah. sugary foods can be addictive. Just, 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 because, just, just, I want to I want to <laughs> highlight the difference between dependence and, and addiction. Okay? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So here, but here, yeah. But here, yeah. But here, we, we throw that word around all the time. Addiction, and it's just not. It's but there's, there's a profound yeah. <laughs> difference. Things that are addictive actually also increase BDNF to re- rewire the brain. To crave that feeling more and more. Every time you use it, the brain rewires yeah. to want it more and more. That is addiction. Dependency is, I really like this. I really like using it. I, 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 I don't want to stop using it, but I can stop using it if I want to. Addiction is completely different. All addictive drugs, opioids, nicotine, they yeah. upregulate BDNF in the areas of the brain that get the greatest response from them. So they literally rewire the brain 
to desire that thing. That's yeah. that's what addiction. There, is. There's 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 a definite difference, and yeah, sugar is not addicted. <sighs> no. It's not 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 the same. No. You know, whatever whatever word you want to use, it's just not there. And 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 that's really. Gary Taubes has kind of rebranded himself. And I wouldn't say rebranded because I think that was always his, his thing. He's basically said if he ever gets cancer, um, he'll, he'll kill himself because, because he shouldn't get cancer because he doesn't eat sugar. <laughs> um, yeah, good luck with uh, that. Good luck with it, that. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't you know want to wish I, ill I, I on anybody, know, but, but. I, I can't even believe are, that he would say something as naive as that. There is, there are, there are a plethora of things that can cause cancer aside from feeding them once they're there with sugar. The lack of sugar yeah. doesn't protect you from cancer. Yeah. I I used to have a lot of respect for him, but this interview has changed my opinion about him, really. I, I really didn't pay attention to him, to be honest. I just thought he was a science writer. He had uh, an instinct, and he had some good data, and he was interesting. But now if he says that, if he says that if I die of cancer, oh, if I get cancer, I'm going to kill myself <laughs> because I don't eat sugar, you're, you're an idiot. There are a lot of things that you could get. Oh, my God. I don't even – my head's going to explode. <laughs> My head's going to quit. I don't even want. I to mean, do. you know, he he really he's he's. I I don't know what what fuels him at this point in terms. I I think it's. Um, I I have on my blog a um a quote from him. He do you know, do you know who Seth Roberts was? Yes, sure. He passed away. Yeah, he was on so, my show. He was the guy that if you yeah. had a certain flavor before you ate, you didn't want to eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did the Shangri La diet. Right. So um so Gary Tabs did an interview with him. Um, and, uh, I'm going to try and see if I can get this up here. I'll just paraphrase it, but he did an interview with him in early, it was like January, 2008. So this was right after good calories, bad calories was, uh, was published. And he said something along the lines of, you know, if, if the, if the mainstream is able to like push back my, my ideas and ignore me, then I'm going to end up being some some with that old man muttering in the in the in the corner about how nobody would listen to me. See, but that and, that, that shows that he's breathing his own ether. I call that. Yeah, yeah that, and, and and I think yeah, he really and I think that. that own, yeah, good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, but I really think that that kind of encapsulates when you look back at something like that. That was you know over ten years ago, before any of all of this exploded. That was, he already was kind of thinking that, like that he was so, you know, revolutionary and that if, if, if everybody doesn't listen to him, yeah, you know, but as, as, it, as it turns out, it's not just that people didn't listen to him, it's that the evidence really never supported <laughs> his, own what he put forth. his own evidence. His own evidence doesn't support and, it. And, and now his own evidence. Three, four times, well, three times over, the NAFLD studies sort of, you know, corresponds to, to his if you don't look too deeply but three out of the uh, you know the, they just say you know what it's not there and he cannot let it go and Ludwig who is who is carrying that torch for him right now because he has more gravitas in the scientific community he cannot let it go he's been going up against people like Kevin Hall and Steve Stefan Gaine and he just can't let it go. Yeah, uh, Evelyn, your website is carbsanity.blogspot.com. 
Uh, people can go there. You've got very insightful blogs. You're a critical thinker. Oh, wow, we and, went long. Uh, what's that? I just looked at the clock. I said, oh, wow, we went really long. Yeah, that's okay. But but uh, and, and, and you're a critical thinker, and also you're a moderate. You know, you're not a zealot. You're not – in fact, you're trying to pull the zealots back in from the extremities into the middle and go, look, you know, if you follow your your requirements for energy, you could eat, you know – all sugar and still lose weight. It's not, that's not the answer. It's not, the magic isn't in, in the macro, in other words. It's, it's, it's really not. And, and I, I agree with you. There were years ago where I would have disagreed with you, but unlike Taubes, I've seen evidence and I can't ignore it. I can't just, you know, protect my own little fiefdom and go, oh, no, no, it, it is that way. It is that. No, you, you could eat sugar and lose body fat. If your energy requirements are 2,000 calories a day for everything you do, sleep, eat, fart, exercise, walk to work, all that sort of stuff, and you eat 1,500 calories of sugar a day, you'll lose fat. You'll lose body weight. I mean, that, that's it. And I hate to tell people that because they everybody wants, no, there's got to be a magic nutrient or a magic macro out there that if I just eat that, I'm going to lose body fat. No, move more, eat less, lose weight. <laughs> that's it. There you go. <laughs> All right, listen, thanks for being on the show. This is a commercial-free episode. I don't even have music to take us out, so we're just going to say goodbye. Say goodbye, Evelyn. All right, great. Goodbye, everybody. All right, All right talk nice to you Nice to be on again, Carl. All right, talk bye. to you soon. All right, bye. All right, see everybody tomorrow, and I'll have a fully working, a functioning show tomorrow. Thanks for listening.